Welcome back to Season 4 of Pathways by Grenadian Steam, the podcast where we chat with West Indian professionals at home and in the diaspora who have worked in one or more of the fields of science, technology, engineering, architecture, or mathematics to understand what led them to choose the path they did, the successes, failures, and learnings they've had along the way, and in general, what careers are out there. This season, in addition to debuting full video episodes on YouTube and Spotify to help you feel more engaged, we will be including our members, both students and professionals, in the conversations, inviting them to share their own thoughts, ideas, and experiences on the topics brought up by our guests. This is in an effort to encourage and normalize discussions among people of all ages and levels within society. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the journey on today's pathway. Dr. Asha Williams is a Trinidad and Tobago National Scholar and currently a Presidential Postdoctoral Fellow at Cornell University, where her research is aimed at developing a cell-free platform for manufacturing conjugate vaccines against emerging pathogens. She is also part of a global team of scientists and vaccine experts working with the United Nations to combat vaccine misinformation. Dr. Williams holds a Bachelor of Science in Chemical and Biomolecular Engineering from New York University and a PhD in Chemical Engineering from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. She was awarded RPI's Presidential Graduate Research Fellowship, named a Class of 2020 Changemaker, and has published over 10 co-authored papers in peer-reviewed journals during her graduate career with a patent pending. Dr. Williams also served as Vice President of the Black Graduate Student Association at RPI and worked on several initiatives and efforts to increase the recruitment and retention of minority students in graduate education. Dr. Williams is listed as one of the 1,000 inspiring Black scientists in America, named an MIT rising star in chemical engineering, and will be joining Columbia University as a tenure track professor of chemical engineering in July, 2023. Welcome to Pathways, Asha. Thank you for the intro. No problem. So that was quite an impressive um, bio. I'm kind of intimidated on where to start. But, uh, no. <laughs> but we'll start at the beginning for the listeners to kind of give your life story in a nutshell mm -hmm. and set some groundwork for where that all began. So to get us started, where exactly did you grow up? I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago in a town called Arima. Um, we moved around a few places while I was growing up. But right before I left for um, college, we moved to Sunny Grande, but mostly grew up in Arima. Okay, cool. And can you list for us every school that you've attended um, from childhood up to this point? Okay, I honestly don't remember like my kindergarten, but primary school. <laughs> primary school was La Hawkinson North Government Primary. And then for high school, I went to St. Augustine Girls High School, um, undergrad, New York University, grad school, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. And currently, I work at Cornell University. Got it. Okay. And as a student, so primary, secondary school, mm -hmm. what were you like? What type of a student would your 
friends or peers have described you as? I was very competitive. I always wanted to be like first in class. So there was this one other girl. We were always back and forth between first and second place and end of term exams. So that was a thing. Um, I love to read a lot. I really pestered my librarian. I was always sitting outside the library when she came in for work and I read like all of the books. So she took me to her house where she had extra books. Um, so yeah, I used to read a lot. Um, I liked extracurricular things. So I like getting involved outside of just classes and stuff. Um, but yeah, I was always somebody who wanted to be the best at things and kind of competitive personality. Yeah. Got it. Would you say you're still that way today? Yes, but I think I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm okay with not being like first place in every single thing. I'm just um, aiming to do my best, essentially. Right. So yeah. Okay, it's a good a good place to be. <laughs> um, and what was your first job? If you remember, first thing you ever did to make money. Well, this wasn't a job, but first thing I did to make money. Um, so we had fruit trees in our backyard when I was in primary school and my aunt also had this huge plum tree. So I used to pick a bunch of fruits, plums and cherries, wash them and package them into these little plastic bags and sell them at school for like 25 cents, 50 cents. Um, yeah, I, that was probably my first hustle. Nice. <laughs> Did you gain all the profits from that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Pocket don't remember change. what I did with the money, honestly, but I do remember washing and packing and selling. Yeah. Nice. All right. And your current job or profession is what exactly? So I'm a postdoctoral fellow. Um, essentially, I just do research in an academic environment. And my research is focused on developing a new method for making vaccines against specific um, bacterial infections. So essentially, we're trying to develop a cell-free platform, which means that we aren't using live cells to produce the vaccines. Um, we're creating a system where you could essentially have all the components in a tube, and then those are rehydrated at the point of care to produce the vaccine um, at the point of care to be administered. And that's kind of to get around a lot of the limitations that we see currently with vaccines, um, vaccine, vaccine distribution, where you have the cold chain supply and ex the need for expensive pieces of equipment, et cetera. So the vaccines that we're working on can be stored at room temperature. So it eliminates a lot of the logistical and economic barriers that are typically associated with vaccine manufacturing and distribution. Got it. Okay. You explained that pretty well. I was going to ask you to go more in depth, um, <laughs> but so you mentioned uh, for like vaccines and using the using cells, do, does that cover all types of vaccines or is that a specific type of vaccine or for specific diseases? So uh, the particular class of vaccines that I'm working on are called conjugate vaccines. And essentially those are consisting of a sugar molecule or carbohydrate that's associated with a particular 
um, pathogens. So certain bacteria have on their surfaces these carbohydrates or sugars that protect them from um, at being attacked by your immune cells, et cetera. So that's what makes them pathogenic. So essentially we're taking those carbohydrates associated with bacterial surfaces, linking them to a particular protein known as a carrier protein, which helps to make them more immunogenic. And that's how you get the name conjugate vaccines because you're conjugating or joining these two elements. Um, and the good thing is that you can kind of interchange what carbohydrates you have based on the pathogen that you're targeting. So for proof of concept, we're focusing on pathogens that cause enteric infections, so diarrheal diseases that affect young kids in the developing world. Um, but yeah, that's essentially the, the type of vaccines we're working on. Okay, nice. All right, thanks. So when did you actually decide that this was something that interested you? What, um, my current work or just my field in general? Well, so I, I want to hear about both your current work and then if you can take it back a bit and talk about why you even got into chemical and biomolecular in the first place. Um, so what I'm doing now specifically, vaccine development. Um, after I finished my PhD, which was still in the area of biotechnology and engineering microorganisms, I kind of wanted to branch out into something slightly different, but also an area where I could apply expertise from my PhD. Um, and then I heard about this opportunity in this lab. I talked to the PI and he pitched a couple of different projects. And this is kind of the one that jumped out to me. And this was pre-pandemic before I knew that vaccines were going to become this huge thing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I was just interested in the, the project and the topic. That's how I got into the work with vaccines. When it comes to chemical engineering in general, um, so when I was in high school, I really enjoyed physics, chemi chemistry, math. Um, I didn't like biology much, but yeah, my parents, my father wanted me to do medicine and that's a whole long story about mm -hmm. the medical field. <laughs> but essentially, the way I got into chemical engineering was that I um, I just Googled careers that involved physics, chemistry, math, and chemical engineering popped up. And then I saw that there was another sort of branch of chemical engineering called biomolecular engineering. Um, so traditional chemical and process engineering is focused on um like plants for processing oil and gas and those types of um, those types of arenas, but biomolecular engineering kind of opened up a new path where you can get involved in a whole range of areas. So I figured, you know, chemical engineering is broad enough where it involves the things that I enjoy, and it would give me space to kind of figure out exactly what I wanted to do later on. Okay, so it was more off of the, the subjects that you enjoyed rather than right. a path yeah. that you knew you wanted. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, and so what was the process for you starting off? Like you, did you go straight to uh, undergrad after, what is it, sixth form? Or the end okay. of secondary um, school? It's kind of a complicated story. I was trying to avoid this, but I guess I have to talk about it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. So, yeah. So basically my dad really wanted me to do medicine, um, even though I didn't want to, and it became this kind of power struggle. And basically he 
insisted that, you know, I should do medicine. So I ended up going to medical school for about six months in Jamaica, Uimona. Okay. Um, and while I was there, I did not enjoy it because I didn't want to do medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, but while I was there, I found out that I won a scholarship from Trinidad, an open scholarship, which is a scholarship where the government will pay for you to study anything anywhere in the world. Um, and so I told my parents, well, you know, I don't want to stay here. So that got me back to Trinidad. And then when I got to Trinidad, I said, okay, well, I don't want to do medicine. <laughs> um, and I had to be, like convince them that, you know, chemical engineering was a good field and I would make money and all of those things. And um, I applied to schools and yeah, the process was a little haphazard because I didn't really have a lot of guidance. I didn't, um, not a lot of people that I knew personally had left the country for university. So mm. I was a little bit clueless about the visa process. And, you know, I didn't know anything about like Ivy Leagues. I just haphazardly ended up picking New York University because it was close to this branch of a church in Trinidad that I was going to. It was just oh, like wow. kind of run. Yeah, it was real. Like I just had no idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I ended up in New York. Okay, so well, now I'm really interested in like the, the trajectory. <laughs> Keep listening. We'll be right back after a short break. Enjoy your stay at True Blue Bay Boutique Resort, a family-run, eco-friendly waterfront resort in the beautiful island of Grenada. Choose between tropical rooms, suites, or villas, and enjoy complimentary breakfast, access to four pools, guided water sport activities, as well as the option for spa treatments, yoga classes, diving, and snorkeling trips. Relax by one of the pools and get drinks served to you from the poolside bar, or go adventuring the coastline on our kayaks, finding turtles, eagle rays, or even lobsters. Perfect for families, couples, and single travelers, True Blue Bay Resort has something for everyone. Email reservations at truebluebay.com for bookings and inquiries. What was the timeline between when you went back to Trinidad and you ended up leaving again for New York? Um, there was, I think, about a year. Because I think when I got back to Trinidad, it was too late in the application cycle to apply for like that year. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, it was the following year that I started. And what did I do during that? I think I went to like Bible school or something. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah um, I think that's what I did. I think it was about a year. Yeah. Okay. So once you actually got to New York, New York University, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once you actually got there, got into the program, was it everything you expected? Like, was it a shock to the system? seeing as you kind of, as you said, passively got into the program? Um, Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, it was a culture shock, definitely, because one, that was my first time in the U.S. ever, and Mm. two, it was New York City, so, and I was on my own, and I had grown up super sheltered, by the way. Um, So, yeah, it was just a lot of things to adjust to, and... Um, the environment, the people, the culture. Um, but 
I will say that I made a lot of friends in my first year that kind of helped to make the transition smoother. Um, in terms of the classes, I felt like I had a good handle on things, maybe because of sixth form or my background, it wasn't too much. Um, I think later in the program, there were some classes that were pretty challenging, but the initial transition wasn't too rough for me personally. Okay, got it. All right. So once you completed your degree, um, what was your next step? Like, what was your thought process at that point? Because you're still at, correct me if I'm wrong, but still kind of just following along with your interests here. So mm -hmm. when did your mindset change or like when did you decide that you were going to go for a PhD? Um, so first of all, I had no idea that you could go straight from your bachelor's degree into a PhD program. I thought you had to do like a master's and then a PhD. Mm -hmm. um, but when I was in my junior year, which is like the third year of my bachelor's program, I had a mentor, a research mentor who I worked with in the lab, and he kind of encouraged me to apply to graduate programs. Um, and so I did. And I ended up getting into a few places and I weighed the options and figured RPI would be the best place in terms of the whole package that they offered. Um, but yeah, I had no idea that I was going to end up in this particular field because when I was applying, I remember my admissions essay was actually about solar energy research, like completely wow. like all material, yeah, like material science focused. And then when I got to grad school, the one professor who was doing research in that field didn't have funding to take students. And so I just ended up in a group doing um, biotechnology focused research. So. Okay, interesting. Um, so along the way, I imagine you would have gotten involved in like lots of different groups and organizations. Um, mm -hmm. Some of that was in your bio. How did that help or not, but like help change your path along the way? Um, so in undergrad, I don't know if my extracurriculars necessarily changed my path. I feel like it just helped me to balance the academics and get through my program, essentially, like having other things that I was involved with and meeting people through extracurricular activities. Um, yeah, and same for grad school. In grad school, I was involved with the Black Graduate Student Association. So that kind of gave me some insight into just the challenges that minority students face in certain spaces and environments. Um, but overall, I think those extracurricular things and those other groups were more instrumental in helping me balance um, the academics and also really important for my mental health, especially in grad school, having like other black grad students to talk to and hang out with and that type of thing. Yeah, good. So I was told um, by a mutual friend that I should ask you about climbing the ladder. And I don't, have, <laughs> I don't have much background on what that 
I mean, um, where it's supposed to go. But from your resume and what you talked about so far, I imagine that you can add to do some legwork to get to some of the places that you've been to um, or -hmm. spaces you've been in. So what insights can you share on how you've done that or how you'd encourage others to get ahead at work or at school? So I think um, it's really important to not limit yourself. I think a lot of the things that I did, I felt like, oh, I'm not really qualified for this. Um, They're probably not going to pick me for this. Uh, You know, like I had a lot of doubts, but I applied anyway. I asked anyway. Um, Even getting involved in research as an undergrad, I had applied to a research program and I didn't get it. And then I reached out to a professor about working in his lab over the summer. And that's kind of how that opportunity worked out. But if I hadn't done those things, I would have never known about the world of research. I probably would not have gone to grad school. Um, So just those little things like um, not being shy about pursuing opportunities and applying for things that you might not even think you're qualified for, just putting yourself out there. Um, And then the other thing is having mentors in your life or at least people who you look up to somebody that you have some indirect or direct connection to who's doing something that you might be interested in doing one day, um, reaching out to those people for tips. And even if you can't like get in communication with them or maybe you reach out and they don't respond, you can kind of look at the things that they've done in their life in their lives and see, okay, so he or she, you know, they applied to this program, they got this award. So then you can start looking for similar things that are in your field and maybe start applying to those things, start putting yourself out there, start getting involved in those types of activities. Um, Because honestly, there were so many things that I didn't know and so many things that I didn't know that I didn't know (laughs) that I needed other people to, to help me with. And, you know, just saying one little sentence would open a whole new world for me. So yeah, I would say, you know, putting yourself out there, don't be scared to um, connect with opportunities or apply for things. And then also finding people who have walked the path that you're interested in walking already and um, try to get information from that on how you can, you can mimic that. Yeah. I, I love that point. And I feel like I have to stress on it because Disclaimer to the students who will be listening to this, this is not scripted. Like we've had so many guests say almost those exact same things that it's really important. <laughs> it's really important to have mentors or have people that you can talk to and reach out to and ask questions and don't be afraid to to find out things. Um, yeah. And yet, like when I talk to students, it's there. You, you know how it was when you were that age, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's really important um, to to get out of that mindset and realize that, you know, asking questions is how we all (laughs) make it in life. There's literally nothing to lose. Um, The worst that could happen is maybe the person doesn't respond and, you know, you send a follow up, they don't respond again. Then you just move on to somebody else. Like, exactly. You know, you have so much to potentially gain from reaching out that those negatives are so small in comparison so true 
So as you're talking about opportunities and all of that, um, I know that you're a part of Team Halo, working alongside the, we're working with the UN on vaccine misinformation and all of that. How did you end up working in that group? This is also kind of random. <laughs> um, so as I mentioned, I got involved in vaccine research in January of 2020, I started actually February of 2020. Oh, and then, wow. you know, the pandemic uh, shortly after that. But yeah. um, when vaccines started coming online later that year, um, there was so much misinformation going around on the internet and in what's, on WhatsApp. Like, it was ridiculous. Like, my friends and family kept sending me, like, these ridiculous articles and videos with people talking about the vaccines and just incorrect information. Um, and because I was working in, because I work in vaccine development, I was getting all of those questions. And I realized I was kind of answering the same questions over and over. So I decided to make a series of videos. Um, I called it the 12 days of debunking vaccine misinformation or something like that. It was around um, Christmas time. So. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I just picked like the 12 top things that people believed about vaccines that weren't, weren't true um, or just common misconceptions. And I just addressed each of those individually in like one to two minute videos. And then I posted them daily over a 12 day period. Um, and those videos kind of got a lot of attention from people online and people were interested in the information. And somehow, I guess the people from Team Halo, that group, they saw those videos and they reached out to me about their group and what they were doing, addressing vaccine misinformation. And it was basically exactly what I was doing, using social media to um, fight back against vaccine misinformation. And so I figured, okay, this is kind of in line what I'm already doing. And that's how I joined their team. Uh -huh. They specifically focus on um, doing this on TikTok. And at that time, I was not on TikTok. Okay. <laughs> so I kind of had to join TikTok, figure out how to use it, the algorithm and all of that. So I just post videos on TikTok now. Yeah, that was going to be my next question because I've seen you at TikTok and you have oh, thousands gosh. of followers. <laughs> so yeah, I was wondering which came first, the TikTok or, or Team Halo, but you answered that question. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Okay, so serendipitous opportunities. Right. And again, that was just something that I put out there. And honestly, I was kind of scared and super apprehensive about doing that because at that time, the general wave on the, on the internet was to talk against the vaccines and talk negatively about them. And here I was coming out with like, no, this is why you should get vaccinated. And this is why those things are incorrect. And so I researched really carefully, really thoroughly. I had evidence to back up everything I was saying. Um, and I was nervous about putting myself out there. But as I was saying previously, you can't be afraid to do things like that. You just have to you know, believe in yourself, believe in your training and your expertise and put yourself out there and, and see how things go. I love that. Keep listening. We'll be right back after a short break. 
This season of Pathways is brought to you by Telesford Countertop and General Construction Services, your number one source for quartz and solid surface. Their services are not only limited to countertops, their team builds homes, cabinets, vanities, does 3D images, renovations, and quantity estimates. Telesford Countertop and General Construction Services' mission statement is pride and delivery upon customer satisfaction. Contact them today at 435-0133 to get started on your construction project. Um, so in all of this, you mentioned some small things along the way, but was there any point, um, anything that may have happened or occurred over your whole career that made you question your decisions or your path? Like seriously, you thought like, I, I, this is it for me. <laughs> grad school definitely I feel like probably in I don't remember what year but after you get over like the first year or second year when you finish all your classes and you pass the initial exams and you're just mainly doing your research um there were definitely several times where I was just like I don't know if this PhD is really worth it what am I doing here? It's too cold. There's too much snow. I want to go home. I miss my family. I miss my friends. You know, like, yeah, that was super frequent throughout my PhD. Mm -hmm. um, even in my postdoc sometimes, and I think this was partly due to just the pandemic and um, the isolation and being locked down and all of that. At times, right. I was just like, what am I doing with my life? Just doing research and you know, life is passing me by type of thing. So that's something that I always um, have in my mind to some extent, like just always trying to evaluate my path and what I'm doing and um, how much I'm enjoying what, what I'm doing. Good. So I have to ask this question. How do, you, how do you think your field of work or the research that you're doing can be applied directly to the Caribbean landscape? Yeah, so because of the vaccines that I'm working on, or particularly the technology for manufacturing those vaccines, um, they're kind of ideal for the Caribbean because you... First of all, the cost would be much lower than traditional vaccines just because you don't have to pay for additional um, transportation, special transportation needs, the cold chain supply, um, storage, etc. Um, also, it's something that can be easily distributed. It's something that has a pretty long shelf life. Um, it's something that can be it's not a difficult technology to adapt in the sense that you can train and transfer, train workers, transfer the technology and have maybe a facility based in the Caribbean where these vaccines could be manufactured. And they could also be, because the system is um, so easily interchangeable, it's very easy to focus on bacterial pathogens that are specific to Caribbean regions and diseases that you would be interested in for those particular um, regions, if that was of interest to the governments of the Caribbean. Um, yeah, it, I think there 
are a lot of applications um, if there was interest, essentially. Okay. As far as you know, does there exist a body or organization that works on this type of thing in the Caribbean? Um, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I know that in Cuba, they definitely produce their... Um, their own vaccines. And I know they also make conjugate vaccines, but I don't really know the specifics of, you know, the facilities and who works on it, who exactly is working on it and that, that type of thing. Okay. Just a curious question. Yeah. Cool. All right. So as for you, what do you think? I know you're making a, a career move um, next year. What do you see for yourself in the next, let's say, five years, 10 years, if you want to think that far ahead? What do you hope will happen? Yeah. Um, what I hope, I hope that once I get into the, once I get on the tenure track, I hope that I can maintain some type of work-life balance. That's like first and foremost for me. Um, but I also am really excited about just working with students and um, teaching students, interacting with them in the classroom. And of course, with that comes like having my own lab and leading research efforts and that type of thing, which is super intimidating to think about. But I hope <laughs> that my projects go well. I hope that I'm able to get funding to sustain the lab. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited about mentoring students. That'll be a nice transition. Do you know already what your research topic will be or focus? Generally, the area is going to be looking at protein carbohydrate interactions because they're kind of ubiquitous. Um, they're related to diseases, um, vaccines, uh, transportation, um, drug delivery. So it's kind of a broad area those are the specific paths that i'm interested in so drug delivery um treatment of diseases and vaccine development under that larger umbrella got it okay now if you could go back a few years and visit your say 15 year old self maybe 15 18 year old self um what is a piece of advice that you would give to yourself at that age 15 or 18 year old so um <laughs> i mean so when i was 15 or 18 that's before i came to the u.s and all of that what would I give myself? So I'm just generally a person who kind of worries about things too much. And I don't know if at 15 or 18, hearing from my future self, oh, you should stop worrying if that would make me worry any less. Right. <laughs> I guess that, um, in terms of like practical advice, I would probably try to uh, warn myself about like scholarship contracts and just mm -hmm. alternate routes for getting funding for your education and to kind of explore that more and maybe reach out to more people about the whole visa process and um, the U.S. education system because some of the decisions I made back then, I wish I had made different decisions essentially, but I just didn't know and people around me didn't know. 
Um, so yeah, that's those are probably the things. Other than that, I mean, she was just gonna do whatever she was gonna do. <laughs> and it got you to where you are today. So couldn't be all that bad. Awesome. Well, Asha, I think that's a really good conversation. I think um, I'm really grateful that we were able to talk and get through all of that. Um, and if there is a place that people can reach out to you, if they wanted to find out more about what you do or had any questions, where would be the best place for that? Um, if you are just interested in seeing my content, then you can follow me at TikTok, Dr. underscore Asha Williams. Um, if you have questions, so I have a website and there's a section on my website where you can like, send me a message or send a question or something like that. So it's asherwilliamsphd.com. Um, yeah, that's how you can get in touch with me. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much uh, again. And to the listeners, thank you for joining us on today's Pathway. Keep listening. We'll be right back after a short break. Enjoy your stay at True Blue Bay Boutique Resort, a family-run, eco-friendly waterfront resort in the beautiful island of Grenada. Choose between tropical rooms, suites, or villas, and enjoy complimentary breakfast, access to four pools, guided water sport activities, as well as the option for spa treatments, yoga classes, diving, and snorkeling trips. Relax by one of the pools and get drinks served to you from the poolside bar, or go adventuring the coastline on our kayaks, finding turtles, eagle rays, or even lobsters. Perfect for families, couples, and single travelers, True Blue Bay Resort has something for everyone. Email reservations at truebluebay.com for bookings and inquiries. Thanks so much for listening. We would absolutely appreciate your comments and feedback as we try to make this podcast more beneficial for you, our listeners and watchers. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please take a minute to press the review button let us know how we're doing and let others know that this is something that's worth their time. We also love to see your comments and engagement on social media. So head over to the post and let us know what you think about this latest episode.